0: We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 today, the way of love. If you can open to that passage in your Bibles, then that would be great so that you can check what I'm saying against God's word this morning. Well, how about I lead us in prayer and then we will come to God's word together. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, as we come now to your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit may be powerfully at work among us. By your Holy Spirit, help me to preach your word faithfully in the way that he intends and help us to understand the depth of your love for us in Christ. Convict us of our failure to love and transform our hearts that we may truly love one another with the gifts you have given us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All love is patient, love is kind Love does not envy or boast. Love is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. Love bears all things. Love never ends. Uh, there's no a passage that is more popular to be read and preached at weddings than 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In fact, I preached on this passage just last year at a wedding. Uh, the passage is often chosen because uh, at weddings because of the description of love we find here. It, it seems so beautiful. It, it seems so inspiring. Uh, it's something beautiful to, to put into practice in our marriages. And rightly so, I guess, since uh, enduring, patient, humble, forgiving love is vital for any marriage to thrive. But on the other hand, uh, the very popularity of this passage for weddings shows how often it is really misunderstood, because when this passage is preached at weddings, it's frequently pulled out of its context, and, uh, and the gravity and the, the depth of this passage is is lost, so that we don't even realise that, that these verses here in 1 Corinthians about love are actually meant to be a searing warning, a searing rebuke that cuts us to our very hearts, that puts us on our knees before God. Uh, That's what it's meant to do, rather than uh, being some kind of uh, feel-good love poem for a wedding. Now, perhaps if we really understand this passage properly in its context, it won't be quite so popular at weddings after all. So, although you've probably heard countless uh, sermons on this passage before, I want to ask you this morning, have you really understood it? Have you understood it in its context? And more importantly, have you allowed this passage to do its work in your heart as it has done in mine? Well, what is the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 13? Well, in chapters 12 to 14, Paul has been dealing with the issue of what true spirituality looks like. Uh, The Corinthians seemed very spiritual with their eloquent sermons and their powerful speech and uh, their gifts of the Spirit. You know, they could prophesy, they could speak in tongues and all the rest. They loved the status, they loved the recognition, they loved the awe. And in this uh, this letter, Paul talks more about the gifts of the Spirit than uh, almost any other issue in any other letter but actually Paul has repeatedly rebuked the Corinthians for being unspiritual I'll look back at chapter 3 and verse 1 uh, but I brothers could not address you as spiritual people but as people of the flesh infants in Christ See, the Corinthian church was a divided church they were proud they were arrogant And they were lacking in love, and this was especially the case when it came to their unhealthy obsession with speaking in tongues. See, they they may have had many gifts, gifts of the Spirit, but they had completely misunderstood what true spirituality is. Was like. And so, back in chapter 12, at the beginning of this argument, Paul tells us that true spirituality has nothing to do with gifts. He says in chapter 12, verse 3, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. That is, the spiritual person is the one for whom Jesus is their Lord. And the mark of the spiritual person is that they submit to the Lord Jesus as the Lord of their life. As for gifts, in chapter 12, verse 7, Paul has explained that the purpose of the gifts is not so that we can be spiritual. They're they're actually given for the common good, chapter 12, verse 7. They're given so that the body, the church, may be built up to maturity. Uh, And so, so thirdly, we've seen we've all been given different gifts. For the good of the body. It's not just some people have gifts, but others miss out. No, we all have gifts. And these gifts are not given to us as simply as individuals. They're given for the sake of the body. I'm given gifts for your sake. You're given gifts for each other's sake and so on. Uh, we're not all given the same gifts. We're all given different gifts. A- and the idea is that we will be interdependent. That we will sh- learn to show loving care one for another. And you may remember how Paul ends in chapter 12, in verse 31. He says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. Paul says there is something more excellent than gifts. And in chapter 13, he now turns to that most excellent way. It is the way of love. And so we need to notice at this point the rather peculiar structure of these chapters. Chapter 12, we have a chapter about gifts. Chapter 14, we have another chapter about gifts, especially prophecy and tongues. And sandwiched in the middle, we have chapter 13, a chapter on love. But it's not that you know Paul had this wonderful poem about love and he thought to himself, you know, I really need to get this into the New Testament so that people have a passage that they can preach on at their weddings. And so I thought, I'll just uh, randomly pick somewhere. Let's just put it here in 1 Corinthians 13. No, by, by sandwiching this chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, between chapter 12 and chapter 14, he's saying that the key principle as we think about our gifts is love. This is the point. Love is more valuable than any gift. Love is more valuable than any gift. In fact, without love, our gifts are useless. Love is the more excellent way. And so let's uh, begin the first point this morning, the necessity of love. The necessity of love. And look how he begins in verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love... I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, notice... How Paul, uh, Paul lists again here many of the gifts that we've seen in the previous uh, previous chapters. But Paul's not trying to define what the gifts are here. You know, Paul is not saying here that speaking in tongues is some kind of angelic language. He's not defining the gift of faith as moving mountains. And he's not suggesting that Christians can all do uh, amazing miracles. He's simply thinking of the most extreme examples that he can think of. He's saying, look, even if there was some kind of angelic tongue and then you could speak it, it would be totally useless without love. It doesn't mean that there is some angelic tongue or or, or that's what speaking in tongues is or we should be trying to use this this so-called angelic tongue just as he's not suggesting that we should give away all that we have or deliver up our bodies to be burned into the flames and so on. His point is simply this. All of our efforts, all of our gifts, They are completely useless without love. Without love, we are nothing. We are useless. We gain nothing. Without love, our gifts, no matter how spectacular they may seem to us, they benefit no one. Now, notice again, he deals with speaking in tongues first, because that, it seems, is the gift that they were the most impressed by. And he says, look, doing that without love will be like getting out one of those big gongs that you sometimes uh, see at wedding banquets and just whacking it continuously, uh, utterly useless, if not totally annoying. But but all the other gifts are the same. Look, I may be able to tell the future. I may be able to have extraordinary insights into the lives of other people. I may understand spiritual mysteries. I may be able to even do incredible miracles. But all those gifts are utterly useless, Paul says, without love. And you know what? If that's true of those gifts, it's surely true of a lot of things. I might have a thriving ministry. I might have a large following on social media, or everyone may think that I'm very wonderful and important, but if I don't have love, I'm nothing. I have nothing of value. There's no no point to it all. It's useless. You see, love determines the goodness of any action. I can do any good thing, missionary work, giving to the church, serving in a ministry and so on, but if it's motivated by pride or selfishness or spite or resentment or anger or anything else other than love, well, then my so-called good work is not good at all. It's nothing. I am nothing. I may as well have not done it at all because there's going to be no recognition from God. There's going to be no reward for it. Now, can you imagine what a sharp rebuke this must have been for the Corinthian church? Paul is saying, look, for all their boasting about their greatness, they were totally off track because for all the things that they did have, they were missing the thing that mattered the most. They were missing love. What matters is not what I can do, not how much I can impress other people. But who am I as a person? Without love, we count for nothing. We gain nothing. We achieve nothing. The necessity of love. Well, having explained the necessity of love, in verses 4 to 7, Paul then turns to the nature of love. The nature of of love. And whilst the description of love here uh, can be applied more generally, uh, say to a wedding, uh, what he has in mind is particularly loving other people with our gifts. And what I want you to notice all the way through verses four to seven is that love is shown in actions. It's not just, love is not just a feeling, it's not just an attitude that I have to other people. Love is not just something that you say, I love you. No, love is something that you do. Verse 4 says, love is patient and kind. See, just because I have a gift doesn't mean I should use it now. I'm patient. I use it when it's helpful, out of kindness towards others. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. I don't get proud because I have a particular gift or jealous because someone else has a so-called better gift. Verse 5, it does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. See, what should matter for me is what is best for you. Love is self-sacrificial. Love is other-person-centered. And so I don't get irritable when things don't go my way. I don't hold grudges. I don't, I don't keep score and try to get even later on because I resent what you did to me or I don't like the decision that you made when I wanted a different outcome and so on. No. Verse 6, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It rejoices with the truth. So love is not happy when others fail. Love is not happy when others get hurt. Love rejoices with the truth. Verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So that is, the loving person is filled with faith, hope, truth, and perseverance. They believe God's promises, and they put their hope in God's promises, and so they endure in every situation that they're in, no matter how difficult it gets, because they know that God works all things for the good of those who love him, and it will all work out one way or another in the end. You see, in the original context here, these verses are not so much designed to be an inspirational message, but actually a stern rebuke. Because in every way Paul defines love here, the Corinthians were in fact acting the opposite. Love is patient and kind, but they weren't waiting for one another as they celebrated the Lord's Supper, chapter 11. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. But they were boasting about their leaders and their gifts. They put Paul down. Chapters 1 to 4. Uh, it does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. But they were insisting on their rights to eat food sacrificed to the idols, even if it stumbled their, their weaker brother. Chapters 8 to 10. They took each other to court. Chapter 6. Now, verse 6, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. But they were boasting about their sexual freedom and immorality, chapter 5. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, but they weren't living in the light of the future, chapter 7. They were living for now. And in particular, their lack of love is shown in their use of their gifts. These verses, you see, are, are intended as a sharp rebuke. That the mark of the spiritual person is not their gifts, you see. It is their life of love. And the Corinthians just simply did not have it. What did Jesus say to his disciples in the upper room before he died? Did he say, All men will know that you are my disciples when you speak in tongues? All men will know that you are my disciples when you perform miraculous healings. All men will know that you are my disciples when you arrogantly show off, showing how you're a better person than other people. Of course, that's not what Jesus taught, is it? John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus said this, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, so you also are to love. One another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Do you see? The mark of the spiritual person is love. Any person can wear a cross, any person can use a gift, but the truly spiritual person is the one who lives in self sacrificial love. For other people. To put it another way, what is the fruit of the spirit? You know, is the is the fruit of the spirit tongues, prophecy, miracles, healings, wisdom, knowledge, and administration? Or is the fruit of the spirit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Galatians five. Of course, it's the fruit of the spirit is love, isn't it? We might summarise it in this way. The unspiritual person says, I love to use my gifts. But the spiritual person will say, I use my gifts to love. The unspiritual person, I love to use my gifts, The spiritual person, I use my gifts to love. Those two sentences, they they couldn't be much more different, could they? The unspiritual person, you see, is they're focused on themselves, elevating themselves. The spiritual person is focused on others, they're focused on service. We might summarize it this way The fruit of the Spirit is more important than the gifts of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is more important than the gifts of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc. That's what really matters, not the gifts. It is worth going through that list one more time for yourself and thinking, does this describe me? Am I patient? Patient when those I serve rub me up the wrong way? Patient when people don't respond to God's word as immediately as I want them to? Patient with my children or with my colleagues? Patient on the roads? Am I kind? Am I kind to my spouse? Kind to my children? Kind to my elders and deacons? Is my life dominated by words that encourage and build up? Words that appreciate others? Or is my life dominated by harsh, critical words that tear other people down? Have I got rid of pride? Do I have a heart of humble service that's okay to be out of the spotlight? A heart that gives glory to God and celebrates and promotes the gifts of others? Or am I constantly comparing myself to other people, putting other people down so that I can lift myself up, always thinking about what I deserve, being upset when I don't, re- don't receive it, looking for praise from other people and so on? Am I someone who doesn't insist on my own way? Am I willing to put aside my preferences if it will be better for someone else? Am I willing to support the leaders when they make a decision that I disagree with? Or am I someone who sulks and withdraws when I don't get my own way, then grumbling about the leaders of the church and sowing discontent among the congregation? Am I irritable or resentful do I keep a record of wrongs with my spouse, my church, my friends? Or am I someone who forgives other people as Christ has forgiven me and, and, and repays sin with gracious love? Do I love the truth and so I tell the truth? Or do I twist the truth for my benefit? Do I assume the best, believing, hoping, enduring all things, or do I just give up when it's too hard? Am I loving or not? Now, your answers to those various questions are far more important than what are my spiritual gifts, or how much am I able to use my gifts, or what do people think about me and my gifts? Your answers to these questions, you see, will reveal whether you are truly spiritual or you are not. Because the Spirit's work will be supremely seen in changing my heart from within so that I love other people. If I find myself lacking in love, then, well, I need to pray. I need to pray that, that just as the Spirit worked in us, that we may confess Jesus as Lord, so the Spirit would empower us to live under Jesus' Lordship, loving other people. Because I will only ever be able to love like this as the Spirit works in us and through us, changing our heart from within. In other words, the the love described here in verses 4 to 7, it it doesn't come naturally. Paul knows that. That's why he starts the letter with the death of Jesus. He ends the letter with the resurrection of Jesus, because it's only as we reflect on the love of God, shown in the death and resurrection of his Son, that our hearts will ever be moved to love like this. Jesus alone embodies this kind of love. It is Jesus alone who exemplifies this kind of patient, kind, humble, forgiving, sacrificial, gracious love. Jesus is willing to go to the cross for his enemies, taking the punishment that we deserve so that we can be forgiven. If we are not loving like this, then we must ponder the great love that he showed us first. It is only through the gospel that the Spirit will change us so that we love like this. Now, that is the life transforming work of the Spirit, after all. Uh, if you go to Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 26, you read this I, I will sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, from all your idols. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And be careful to obey my rules. You see, the the Spirit removes our old, stubborn, hard, calloused heart and gives us a a new heart, a heart like this, that wants to obey him, not because we have to, but because we want to, because we respond to his love in showing love to others. And so if we know the love of Jesus, then we can go on loving in a difficult way. Marriage. If we know the love of Jesus, we can keep loving others in a hypocritical church. If we know the love of Jesus, we can keep loving when we've been hurt by a friend. We can keep loving when we're not loved. Because Jesus loved us first. And such love will show the Spirit's work, a supernatural work of God, as He transforms us from within. To be like him. We've seen the necessity of love. We've seen the nature of love. And finally, we see the never-ending supremacy of love. The never-ending supremacy of love. In verses 8 to 13, Paul explains that love is better than gifts because only love lasts. Gifts are just for now part of this passing world, but love is something that will last forever. Look at verse 8. It says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Paul is saying here, you need to recognize the future of gifts. See, how much you value something now depends on how valuable it will be later, isn't it? I mean, imagine that five years ago you poured all your money into investing in CDs and DVDs. You know, you, you, you want to open the grandest CD and DVD shop in Malaysia. And even have a, a, you know, a store where uh, people could uh, loan, you could loan these CDs to them for a price and so on. I mean, you would be an absolute idiot, a fool really, isn't it? If you knew that Spotify was coming, that Apple Music was coming, and so on, then if you knew that one day no one would even know what a CD is or use a DVD, you would not be so foolish to think that CDs and DVDs were the most valuable thing in the world. See, we need to live in light of the ends, in light of the return of Jesus, that Return of Jesus shows us ultimately what is of value and what isn't. And and Paul's made this point many times in this letter already. Uh, When he was talking about singleness and marriage back in chapter 7, he said this, This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. He's saying live in the light of eternity. Recognize this world's not lasting forever. And that's true not only of those things there in chapter 7, but it's true of our gifts too. See, the the purpose of gifts, like prophecy and tongues and so on, is to edify the church. We saw that in chapter 12. They're they're given for the common good, so that together we can be growing in maturity in Christ. But you see, once we reach heaven, once we're in the very presence of God, and and, and we we, we know God perfectly, even as we're fully known, then we won't need these gifts anymore. The the perfect will be there, will be in God's direct presence, will be transformed into his likeness. we, We won't need these things anymore. That's what he says in verse 12. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. In other words, when Jesus comes back, there'll be no more need for prophecy and tongues. They'll pass away. They'll be like CDs, DVDs, because the perfection will have come. And so Paul says, stop acting like children and grow up. Verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. You see, as people get older, they're meant to grow in maturity, aren't they? Children often just act on their impulses, they're inherently selfish and impatient, they're nearly always self-focused instead of other person-centred. Children don't plan for the future, they only focus on now with no sense of the consequences if they do. But an adult can't be like a child, can they? I mean, an an adult is meant to be mature, they're meant to have wisdom, they're meant to have patience, they're meant to think things through and act accordingly, they're meant to live in light of the future and not just do everything as though now was all that mattered. Paul says, the Corinthians' unloving obsession with all these spiritual gifts, it showed what they were really like. They were children. They were spiritually immature in the faith. For all their arrogant boasting, they were babies in the faith. They needed to grow up, you see. They needed to leave behind this impulsive obsession with gifts and focus on what really matters in the light of eternity. They would needed to focus on what lasts, not gifts, but love. I wonder, is that a rebuke that any of us need to hear this morning? Are we truly mature? Have we grown up in our faith? Is our maturity seen in our theological understanding of the future that leads to lives of self sacrificial love now? Or are we still babies? Well, Paul ends the chapter in verse 13. He says, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. He says, In eternity, we won't ever stop. Loving God, or trusting God, or putting our hope in God. We'll go on doing all these things, faith, hope, and love, for all eternity. And that makes them far more important than gifts. And and the greatest of these is love, he says, because God is love. That's his defining characteristic. It's the defining attribute of the cross. Love is what will matter most, not only now, but forever. The truly spiritual person, do you see? It's not the person who has all the gifts, it's the one who lives in love. Because love is what makes our gifts useful, and love lasts. Love is the more excellent way. Well, as we uh, close then, let me ask you this. What is your attitude to your gifts and your church? What's your attitude to your gifts and your church? Is it all about you or is it all about others? Do you come to the church gathering to serve or to be served? Do you come to receive or do you come to give? My guess is that for some of us this morning, a radical mind shift is required to realise that the church is not about me and my needs or puffing myself up. It's about others. I think about your church attendance this morning. Why did you come to church this morning? I mean, you could have played the various songs on Spotify, you could have I downloaded the sermon from YouTube later on. You, you could have prayed by yourself at, at, at home. So why be here in the service and not down at the mum-up, you know, having a nice tea-turry or whatever? I mean, hopefully you're not, you didn't turn up for some selfish reason, like you're looking for a boyfriend or girlfriend, or, you know, you've got some problems that you need help with, or you just, you just really like it when people greet you and, uh, and give you praise and say what a great person you are. I hope that's not the reasons why you came here this morning are you here because you want to love and serve your brothers and sisters in Christ you long to see them grow in spiritual maturity you want to spur them on in love and good deeds you want to do all that you can use whatever gifts you have for their spirit spiritual and physical nourishment because if I'm a mature Christian a spiritual Christian, I won't come to church here for praise for myself. I will come with love for others, a longing to see them grow in the faith, to grow in faith, hope, and love as we wait for that day when Jesus returns. And so if I'm motivated by love, I won't skip church just because I'm tired or because it's been a busy week at, church, at, at work. I want to just sit idly by in my chair while everyone else does everything for me. I'll be there early so I can welcome other people or welcome the newcomer or pray for the struggling or encourage my brother or sister. I'll use whatever gifts I have, whether it's cooking some meals or helping with the music or playing piano or or having a word to share to the congregation or whatever it is. I'll give generously. I'll be willing to do things that are outside my comfort zone because I love other people, not just myself. And as I do this, as I come full of love for others, well, that will be the evidence that God's Holy Spirit is at work in me, that I'm a, I'm a truly spiritual person, you see. That's his work in us. So love must dominate our lives. Love must come first. Without love, we're nothing. All our efforts in the church are really useless. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that in your great love you sent your son Jesus to die for us. Thank you that we can now belong to his body, the church, and have this wonderful hope of eternal life, this hope of seeing you face to face in all your glory. Father, we thank you for all the gifts that you have given us that we might Um, that we might love one another and build up the body. But, Lord, now we stand before your word convicted of our sin, convicted of our failure to love others so many times. Lord, thank you for this reminder of what true love is. And, And thank you for not just telling us about it, but showing it to us in your Son, Jesus Christ. And so we pray now that you would help us to respond to your love in love for others, especially to use our gifts to serve one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.